Hey everyone, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And today I want to ask you a question. Have you ever experienced that moment of saying the right thing, but in the wrong way? My name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church. Uh, we're located in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. And if you live in this region, we'd love to meet you in person. Uh, you're welcome anytime. We have our services on Sunday at 10 a.m. And uh, of course, other things happening as well. But that's just a great entry kind of way to get to know us and for us to get to know you. So consider this your invitation. Um, if you're outside of the region, love that you're here with us. As I said at the top, have you ever experienced saying the right thing, but in the wrong way? Let me put it this way. Have you ever said something to someone that was true, but you said it in the wrong motivation, the wrong attitude? You said it out of anger. You said it out of trying to get at them, right? There's, there is a dynamic where we can say the right thing, we can speak the truth, but we can do it in the wrong spirit, so to speak. Um, you know, in the scripture, we see this in a lot of ways. Uh, we see in Jonah, for those of you that don't know the story of Jonah, uh, God calls him to go preach repentance to Nineveh, the city of Nineveh. And Jonah, of course, doesn't want to go. And of course, we know the story. He's thrown overboard off a boat and he's swallowed by a, a great fish and all the things. But he finally goes to Nineveh. He, he finally submits to the calling of God. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches this message of repentance. Now, what happens, though, is the Ninevites, they repent. They actually turn from their ways and they turn to Yahweh. And in the midst of that, Jonah gets upset because Jonah wanted to see God punish them. Even though he was preaching this message of repentance, he didn't want to see them repent. And he actually got upset that they repented and God was merciful to them. Saying the right thing, speaking the truth, but with the wrong spirit. Uh, we see this in the New Testament as well. There's this kind of mini little story uh, where we see uh, these men, they were sons of the high priest Sceva. And uh, they had seen Paul casting out demons uh, in Jesus' name. And so they thought, you know what, we're going to go and do that. And so they went and found someone who was possessed. And they went into the tent and they said the right words, right? They were like, hey, sort of. They said, in the name of Jesus of whom Paul speaks, come out of him. And of course, this demon-possessed man attacks them, and they run out of the tent, broken, bruised, injured, and naked. Right truth, right word, right thing, Jesus, but they were lacking this right spirit. They were lacking the Holy Spirit empowerment in them. And so we see this over and over throughout Scripture. So if you're taking notes... Or you want to follow along, this is going to be our big thing for today. This is going to be our main thing statement. Truth plus love equals changed hearts and minds. Truth 
plus love equals changed hearts and minds. So Lord, as we dig into your word today, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you lead and guide us in truth? Would you take us on this journey together? We acknowledge your presence with us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to help resource you and get you one. Uh, if you visit myevangel.church/bible, you'll find all the ways to get a Bible in your hands today. So starting verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now here, if you've been following along with us in our series in Ephesians, it's here that Paul moves from kind of a moment of praise to now a moment behind the scenes of his heart of prayer towards the church in Ephesus in the first century. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Here, Paul presents two things that must go hand in hand. Hand in glove, if you will. Faith in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, but also the love of the saints, the love of Christ's body, the church. These things must go hand in hand. Jonathan Swift was a satirical writer, and he once wrote, We have just enough religion to make us hate but not enough to make us love one another. This is a sad commentary, but too often we seek knowledge and truth so that we can create dividing lines between us and quote unquote the others, whoever that may be. And so this becomes a temptation. This is part of human nature. Um, the others can be anyone from those who disagree with us on debatable matters to those who um, don't live according to a biblical worldview. Now, William Barclay writes, We hate the liberals or the radicals. We hate the fundamentalists or the conservatives. We hate those who theolo whose theology is different from our own. We hate the Roman Catholic or the Protestant as the case may be, we make pronouncements which are characterized not by Christian charity, but by a kind of condemning bitterness. We would do well to remember every now and then that love of Christ and love of our neighbors cannot exist without each other. Can I... Can I read that again? Can we just let this sink in? This is kind of a visceral moment. I understand that we're kind of coming out swinging here today. But let me read this again. Let, let this kind of um, percolate in your mind and in your spirit. We would do well to remember every now and then that love of Christ and love of our neighbors cannot exist without each other. I want to convince you today that truth plus love equals changed hearts and minds. 
We must have both. He goes on in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. If, you're, if you'd like to underline in your Bible, can you do me a favor? Underline this spirit of wisdom, of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, now let me ask you a question. In our pursuit of truth, what are we actually pursuing? In your pursuit of truth, what are you pursuing? What's the end game? What do you want to uh, achieve as you pursue truth in this world? Are, are you simply pursuing an academic intellectual growth and understanding in what is true? Or is it potentially more than that? I think in a biblical worldview, we see that it's much more than just growing in understanding and our knowledge of the world around us. Uh, Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthian church, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. In other words, this knowledge gives us, allows pride to grow in our hearts. But love, but love builds up. Love builds up. So how do we guard our hearts from the pride that grows as we kind of increase our intellectual vigor, as we increase our understanding of the word of God and the world around us, as we grow in knowledge, how do we protect ourselves from being puffed up with pride? Well, I think we need to reframe what it is we're actually pursuing. If you're taking notes, write, write this down. We don't worship the word, which we believe in a Christian worldview is the truth. We don't worship the word. We worship the one the word reveals. And this is so key to walking in humility. The scriptures, the Bible, it has a function. And that function is not just to reveal truth, but it's to introduce us relationally to the one who is the truth. And so when we look to the word, to know him, to understand him, to grow relationally with him, we actually begin to protect ourselves from the pride that knowledge puffs up in our hearts. Because to know him and to know oneself is to be humbled, right? To, to know oneself and then to know him in contrast is to be humbled. It's, it's in humility that we best love God and love others. And so as we consider this, this idea of love plus truth equals changed hearts and minds, we need to consider that that first applies to us. That we need to seek truth so that we can know his love, so that we can be changed. In Titus 3, 9 to 11, Paul writes, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Uh, man, Paul's coming heavy here. 
But there's just something so interesting about what Paul is speaking to. You know, when I was younger, uh, my world tended to be, my worldview tended to be very black and white. There was very little room for gray. I was very kind of just black. It's either black or it's white. In fact, I left very little to a uh, undecided checkbox. In some ways, I felt that to be undecided or to not have a position was a sign of weakness. It was in some ways a weak position. And I, I had so much to learn about life and truth and mercy and love and grace. I remember one Christmas, uh, we had pastor friends of ours come to our place for over the Christmas. And we had kind of this moment where him and I, he's another pastor, and him and I got into this theological debate. And it wasn't long after kind of we started going back and forth a little bit that both of our wives kind of just got up, got the kids, and they went to bed. And him and I, we went back and forth for quite a while. In in fact, we were getting angry at each other. There was no pursuit of truth at this point. What we were pursuing was the title of being right and having the other acknowledge that we were right. We were at the center of the truth we were trying to pursue. And unfortunately, it was until about four in the morning I know you're hearing this and you're going, that's ridiculous. You're right. Absolutely ridiculous. This is quarreling. This is dissension. This is disunity. This was pride taking over. And by four in the morning, we finally went to bed, not having resolved and angry at one another. This is not what Christ calls us to when it comes to truth. Because truth always functions also with love. And if the pursuit of truth isn't leading you to a deeper love for God and your neighbor, then you're doing it wrong. To know truth is to know God. And to know God is to be changed, is to be humbled, is to understand grace and mercy and love. Paul goes on in verse 18, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Remember, truth plus love equals hearts, changed hearts and minds. When when writing this sermon, I wanted to kind of make sure to include both the changing of our hearts and our minds in this picture of our understanding. However, when Paul wrote this, uh, he was writing it in the Greek, and the Greek word here Uh, carries this concept of the heart being the very center of a person, the very center of who they are. This has included spirit, soul, body, mind, emotions. This was the center of a person. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And enlightened here literally means to give light to. To give light to. So I want you to consider how our physical eyes work. We we don't necessarily see the objects around us. What we see actually is the interplay of light around us in the world around us. That that light is captured by our retina and there are photoreceptor cells in our retina 
that convert that light to electrical signals that get sent to our brain. And then it's in our brain that it's interpreted. The world around us is interpreted. And that is what we think of when we think of sight. In some ways, the act of seeing is an act of faith. Now, I want you to consider the concept that Paul is kind of creating here. The eyes of your heart being enlightened. When the truth shines into our hearts, we begin to see and interpret the world in a way that we never could before. When we are blind in our trespasses and our sin. As the Spirit came in, He gives us the ability, a revelation, to see the world as it truly is. And we begin to see God more clearly. We begin to see the value and worth of His creation and what He created. And of course, human beings, our fellow humanity, at the pinnacle of that created order. And the Holy Spirit, He comes and He helps us interpret those images. He does this through revelation as we read the Word of God. He does this through discernment as He opens our eyes to the understanding of not just the physical world around us, but the spiritual dynamic of what is happening here. And so our hearts are changed because the eyes of our hearts have been enlightened. Truth plus love equals changed hearts and minds. Paul continues by unpacking kind of the new reality to what we begin to see. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now, I want to take a moment. I want you to consider the power of hope. In Psychology, a Psychology Today article written by um, Dr. Dan Tomasolo uh, called The Science of New Hope, he makes this observation. He says, hope is the only positive emotion that requires negativity or uncertainty to be activated. Without bleakness, the spark for hope isn't ignited. We have no need for hope without sorrow. <laughs> In the midst of what is oftentimes a bleak world, Paul here is reminding us and pointing us to hope. He, 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 he speaks to this moment in a way that we see the bleakness and it ignites hope in us. A hope that is found in the inheritance of the kingdom to come. A, a hope found in the power and the authority of the glorified Jesus. He paints this picture. The hope and the knowledge that his power and authority and dominion are for this world and the world to come as well. Notice verse 21. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There's something so powerful and life-giving about receiving this kind of perspective of hope because hope gives us endurance it supplies the motivation to keep going hope it shifts our perspective and in doing so it changes our heart and our mind his truth and his love leads us to hope but it's more than just 
leading us to hope. It also leads us to purpose. Verse 22, and this is where we're going to close. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. William Barclay, he writes, it was Paul's argument that Jesus died to bring all the discordant elements in this universe into one, to wipe out the separations, to reconcile people to one another and to reconcile them to God. Jesus Christ was above all things God's instrument of reconciliation. And so we have this concept of Jesus coming to bring reconciliation, coming to bring unity, oneness to uh, the world, to humanity, to one another, but also between us and him. And there's this idea that Jesus is the head, this metaphor that Paul uses, and we as a church are the body. And I want you to consider for a moment, what's the function of the head? When you think of the head, you think of what? You think of the brain. And the brain has the function of giving direction to the rest of the body. You know, when, when you think about uh, <laughs> that moment that you put your hand on something that's hot, right? Uh, and you have that kind of visceral response. Oh, and you pull away suddenly. Uh, what caused you to pull away? Was it the hand that told you to pull away? No, right? The heat hit the nerves, nerves sent signal to the brain, and the brain said, pull away, reacted to what was going on. Here's what's so interesting about this. So often we have such trust issues when it comes to being uh, part of the body of Christ with Christ as the head. And sometimes maybe we think, I don't know why, we, we think that somehow uh, Jesus is the head, Jesus' direction, his calling, when he says go, it's somehow like a trap or somehow going to be uh, not beneficial or it's, uh, it's going to hurt too much or it's whatever. We're not going to find joy or fulfillment or peace in it. And here's what's so interesting. The, the function of the head is to give direction to the body. And the function of the head and the, the perspective of the head is so much greater than the perspective of the body. And some of us need to start trusting that Christ as the head of the church is seeking its best interests for the church, for the believer, for the one that says yes to Jesus. We need to trust that he's operating in truth and love because that's who he is. And as we begin to trust that, as we begin to walk that out, truth and love, understanding that to be his very character, we begin to experience changed hearts and minds. And in greater measure, as we change, as our perspective shifts, as our trust grows for him, we get to influence and be in, as the body of Christ, the world around us influencing those to say, you know what, maybe there's something to Jesus. Maybe there's something to him as God. Truth plus love equals changed hearts and minds. And the more he changes ours, the more he can use us to change others. So Lord, I thank you for this, this moment in Ephesians. This just gushing of Paul as he praises in this opener. And then he turns to prayer. 
Lord, we thank you for this insight, his heart of prayer for the, the Ephesian church, and, and in, in some ways, his heart of prayer for us. Lord, we thank you that we can trust that you are a good God, that you are a God and your character is truth and love, and that changes everything, Lord. Help us to walk in that. Help us to be those that function in a way that we pursue truth, but we pursue truth, not just as an activity of intellect, but Lord, as an activity of knowing you. And that that would change our perspective. That Lord, as you speak to our hearts, as you send us into this world to be all and in all, Lord, I pray that we would have such trust that you are using us for your glory, for your purposes, to change hearts and minds. Lord, forgive us for those moments when we stood on truth and lacked love. Lord, forgive us for those moments where we walked in unbelievable love, but we lacked truth. Lord, we need those things together. Help us to walk this out. Help us to achieve this tension and live in this tension in a way that is honoring to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for being with us. Enjoy this beautiful weather. We'll see you next week.